Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Welcome to everybody who might be watching online. My name is Mike Shabilsky. Um, I'm honored that Pastor Jimmy asked me to uh, give the word today. It's a real privilege to do that. So um, I get to talk to you about the Sabbath. Oh, sorry. Tell how techno-minded I am. Okay. I'm probably loud enough that you probably heard me anyway, so uh, at least that's what my kids always used to say. Let's have a couple of scriptures that I want us to look at. If you could put that first scripture up from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, and by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Sounds good, right? Yay, God rested. Let's look at the next verse from Exodus 31. It says, The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. Some translations say as a permanent commandment or an eternal commandment. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. How long's forever? forever? That's a long time. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. I was part of a ministry out of Ashland Seminary for several years where we um, mentored pastors. I was on the leadership team, and we mentored hundreds of pastors over that time. And in that time, we never found one who practiced Sabbath. Not one. So it's no wonder that Sabbath is not a habitual practice among Christians, because if your leaders are not doing that and talking about that, then why should we? In addition, Pastor Jimmy's mentioned from time to time um, about on certain subjects, it's, it's often hard to speak because it's, it's difficult to leave things out. He refers to it as all the stuff left on the cutting room floor. And there is so much about Sabbath I've had to leave on the cutting room floor, um, or we'd be here a Sabbath, <laughs> which is maybe not a bad thing. Um, so I want feel free, um, you can get my phone number from the office or whatever. If you want to talk to me more or see me or email me or something, I'd be happy to talk with you more about this because there is so much about Sabbath that I just cannot cram into today. Um, At the same time, I'm going to ask you to, this is our first Sabbath practice of the day. Forget this. We good with that? We are on no time schedule today. Don't worry about the kids. God will give all the people down there more strength Bless them with patience. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To say, forget time. But that's what Sabbath is. 
forget time. We hear the word Sabbath, and Sabbath is a simple word. It just simply means to cease. Stop. It's the English version of the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is translated in the scriptures Sabbath. And you'll understand more about the ramifications of that definition as we go through our teaching this morning. But most of us have our concept of Sabbath shaped by three things. It's shaped by our understanding of creation. It's shaped by our understanding of the Old Testament, especially Torah. And it's shaped by our culture. Our culture's influences, when I tell you, forget this. Our culture's not happy with that because we're always on this. And our schedules are full. But let's start with creation. And Christians have different views about the first two chapters of Genesis, mostly regarding time frame and methodology. And um, we're into science, and so we want to explain everything, and we want to understand everything, and figure out the sequence of all these things. Um, and the most prevalent concept about creation is God created all this from nothing. And I'm not going to certainly argue against that, but is that what's really going on? Is that what God is really trying to say through his word in the first two chapters of Genesis? The primary way we view it is God created all this stuff. Yay, God. That's a material view. God created these material things. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and the sky and trees and animals and us. That view suits our cultural way of analyzing things because we love to figure things out. We want to know all the exact details. One clue, I have no idea to create something from nothing. I don't know anybody who does. So trying to figure that out with our science is impossible. It doesn't fit any of our rules. But we like to be able to explain everything. But what if the story of creation is not about material stuff? What if it's a different kind of story? And again, I'm not challenging that God created everything, but what if the story in the scriptures is not about creating material stuff? Let's take the keyboard, for example. Okay? This keyboard is put together by thousands of parts. I have an accounting and preaching background. I have no concept of building stuff at all. So I don't know anything about that. But people put a lot of time and effort and created all this stuff, put it in this box thing, put it in a shipping box and sent it off to Bridget. And when you open it up, we say, oh, it's a keyboard. That's a material view. It is a keyboard. When does the keyboard come to life? When Bridget comes up, as she did, and when she'll come up later, trusting in the time concept, she's still here, and she comes up, and she begins to play, then it's a keyboard. It's a keyboard materialistically right now. It will be a keyboard functionally when she comes up and plays. What if the story of creation is about function and not about material? Here's another material function thing. We all live in a house, right? Or 
some semblance of some shelter of some sort. And when you're going to build a house, you get, again, my vast construction background comes into play. Um, you get a bunch of wood and nails and hammers and siding and insulation and roofing and whatever, and you put this together and there's a house. Is that really what you want as a house? Or do you want a home? The home is something special when who moves in? You. And you come in and you personalize it and you have mementos and you have your own stuff and things that are significant to you. You walk all around our house, you'll find seashells and sand and dirt and bottles because my wife collects all these things from all the places we've been and they all have something to her. And that's where you have meals and where you raise kids and where you have things go on in your life. And to prove that it's different, when you go away and you travel, and we've spent the last week at our daughter's home in Zeeland, Michigan, but it's not our home. It's their home. And it's nice, and they actually let us in, and they feed us and do stuff, and so it's wonderful to be there. But by the end of the week, what do you think my wife and I are saying to each other? We want to go home because our home is where we function and we get in home and we got home late Friday night we got in our own bed and it was like ah isn't this nice and we're back in our own routine so that's the difference between a house being material and a house being functional I think the story of creation is a function story what God did is he came in and he brought order to the chaos. Isn't that what it says in the first chapter? He brought order out of the chaos. And he put together this place and then he created people to care for this place. And then he came and rested. Not because he was tired. Does God get tired? It wasn't like, oh man, it's seven days, six days of this stuff, of boom clouds and boom this, and I need a break. No, he rested. And the understanding there is he sat down and said, ah, home. I am in my temple with my people. Does not say that Adam and Eve walked with God present in the garden with him in his temple. And he rested, and man knew that everything was in order. See, the opposite of sin, or what sin is in Scripture, is chaos. And the opposite of chaos is order. And God brings that order. And it was like, yes, we're home. It's not, I'm exhausted and I can't go another step, and I'm too tired to move, and it's been a tough week. It's, yes, this is wonderful. And God has provided everything I need. That's what Adam and Eve could say. Everything we need is right here. God has provided it all in his temple. Now let's talk about the Old Testament, about especially the Torah. Christians usually start with a mind that says the law is 
The law is no good. It was too hard. It was terrible. It was impossible. It's a bad thing. Isn't it great we're under grace? And I'm not saying that grace is a bad thing. But I think we have the wrong understanding of what the Old Testament is. We presume, and in many cases are often taught, that the Jews were about earning salvation by works and we're about grace and so that was bad and this is good. The Jews never thought that. The Jews never understood that they were that they were great and chosen by God because they were good. He chose them before Torah even existed, for one. But let me just ask you a quick question when we say we talk about forgetting Torah. The Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, are part of the Torah. Which of the ten are we not obligated to? Anybody? Which of the ten? Anybody going to say, well, forget those. We don't have to forget that thou shalt not kill thing. We're good. It's okay, because I'm under grace. We would never think that way. But we extend that out to all the Old Testament and everything. But the relationship of Israel to God was not based on works. Read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel. They were far from perfect. Yet God never stopped loving them. Always forgave them. Always longed to welcome them back when they were far away. So it was not about their behavior that they were chosen. Scripture tells us God chose them because they were the smallest, most insignificant group. And I'm going to pick them. It's not a recruiting poster for how to become a Christian. God picked you because you were nothing. But he did. Not based on their behavior. And we have fundamentally misunderstood why we should obey God. I think in, in much of the Christian church. We should obey God because he is God. He has the right to be obeyed. But let me ask you this question, and I'm sure any of you who have gone through premarital counseling with Pastor Jimmy have probably been asked this question. What's your love language? And more importantly, do you know your spouse's love language? And as parents, we learn our children's love language. You know, I don't know if any of you have wrestled with the concept of treating all your children equally. You know, that's malarkey. There's no way you treat them equally because they're all different and they respond differently and you have to figure that out. But that's learning what their love languages are and the best way for them to respond and then you need to try to love them accordingly. Isn't that true in marriage? Find your spouse's love language because if you're doing your love language to them, they may be feeling that you don't love them because they don't get that. Have you ever asked yourself this question, what's God's love language? What is God's love language? Jesus tells us. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Hmm. Isn't that a different perspective to use about obedience? In fact, he even says in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Amos, I've had enough of your sacrifices, enough of your festivals, enough of your songs, enough of your giving, enough of your stuff. Just please obey me. It's not 
us saying, God, we love you. It's we show God we love him because we obey what he has told us to do and to be. What do we think of Torah? Oftentimes people refer to the Old Testament again like it's horrible, it's terrible, and there's, there's all these things that they were supposed to do. Listen to what Moses says to Israel. Moses says to them, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods so near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? How many of us say, isn't it wonderful that God has given us all these commandments? That Jesus, by the way, there's more commandments in the New Testament than the Old. 613 in the old, 1,050 in the new. How many of us as Christians go, yay, isn't that awesome that God is showing us this way to live so that other people will say, wow, those people, their God is awesome. Our mind says, we don't have to do all this stuff, we're under grace. Again, I'm not denying we're under grace. We are saved by grace. But there is space for following God. Do we really say we are really blessed by the commands God's given us? So let me give you three important commands about Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 16, the story there is about God gives manna to Israel in the desert. They've left Egypt. They took some food with them. I'm sure they packed up. But eventually, for a lot of people, that's eventually going to run out. They're complaining they have no food. God says, I'm going to give you manna. They haven't gotten to Mount Sinai yet. They haven't received the Ten Commandments yet. But God tells them in the desert, look, the seventh day, uh uh-uh. There's food enough on the sixth day to last you the seventh day. The seventh day is Sabbath. Before there's any law, the Sabbath somehow was known that Israel was never allowed to practice while they were slaves. Then in Exodus chapter 20, the first giving of the, of the commandments. And in there we're taught, God says, obey the Sabbath because of creation, and on the seventh day, God rested, you should rest. Remember, God was not tired, he sat down because everything was good. And God says, you guys need to do that on the seventh day. Then in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 5, Moses reminds them about the Ten Commandments again. And remember, Israel's gone through a process. Israel was shepherds. They started out as shepherds under Abraham. Then they became slaves in Egypt. Then they were nomads in the desert. And now they're going to move into the promised land and become an agricultural people. That's some pretty huge switches. So he reminds them again about Sabbath. Only this time, he says, 
Sabbath is about remembering God brought you out of Egypt. That you were slaves. You were part of this economy, part of this thing that is ungodly because it was about power and it was about wealthy being wealthier. And you're not that anymore and you need to celebrate that. And in fact, not just you, but everybody connected to you. The whole nation stops. Then in Jesus' day, we find Jesus has lots of conversations with the religious leaders about the Sabbath. But Jesus has never says, don't practice Sabbath. What Jesus is always challenging is all the rules they put in place. And they forgot about all the important stuff. The important stuff, first is keeping your mic in place, the important stuff was life. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath and the religious leaders were upset and Jesus said, no, this is about life. It's about feeding people. It's about caring for people. All the things that the Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes and the religious leaders were putting in place was about rules and stuff. And Jesus said, it's, no, it, that's, not a, that's not it. It's about life. We should also note that in that day, there was no cultural understanding of a seventh day off. We're all about two days off. Back then, it was like one day off. Taking any days off was for the rich. The rich using the poor, or the average people, since the vast majority of people lived day to day, it was about using them for themselves, but everybody else, it was a seven-day time. To take one day off was huge. But in addition to a day off, God also put other Sabbaths in place. There were Sabbaths for different feast days. Then there was a Sabbath year. Every seven years, you take the year off. All in favor? <laughs> Go tell your bosses tomorrow. See, one, I've been here seven years. Then, every 50th year, you took two years off in a row, because the 49th year was a seventh year. Then the 50th year was Jubilee, and Jubilee in Scripture, by the way, is kingdom. Jubilee in Scripture is heaven. You're supposed to take two years off in a row. In 490 years, Israel missed eight Jubilees and 62 Sabbaths. That adds that up to what? Eight plus 62? 70. Familiar number? The 70 years captivity was because Israel did not practice the Sabbath year. And they spent a year in captivity for each one of those because God said the land gets its rest. The land needs rest, don't we? And it wasn't that the land was tired. It wasn't that God was tired. Over a year, it's not that you were tired every day. It's weird to sit with God in his temple We'll address more about the commandments in a little bit, but let's talk about culture for a minute. Culture is the way things are. Culture is not formed by God, it's formed by people. And my generation especially, I won't ask anyone, but I'm in the, I'm off the charts now when it talks about surveys and it goes to your age, I'm in the bottom box. 
you know, check that one. We don't care about you. Check it off. Our gener, my generation, we can look back and Sundays are greatly different. When I was growing up, nothing was open. We visited family. Sunday was about, where are we going today? We're going to go to uncle so-and-so or wherever. And by the way, the early church was Jewish. So the early church celebrated Sabbath on what day? Seventh day. But they also met on the Lord's Day, which became the terminology for the next, the Sunday. So they would meet both very often. Now we don't know much of that unless you're Seventh-day Adventist. Most of us understand Sunday, even when I was growing up in the Catholic Church, they even changed the commandments. It wasn't remember to keep the Sabbath holy, it was remember to keep the Lord's Day holy was what we were taught because everything is switched over to Sunday. That didn't happen officially, by the way, till 363 CE at the Council of Laodicea until they made, said, okay, Sunday is it now because the church gradually got away from its Jewish roots. But culture influences us in many ways, shape, and form, and we are all walking examples of it. The way you are dressed this morning is the way we always dress. Not always been that way. Some of you may not have heard the term, your Sunday best. Because everyone would get up in their Sunday. It was a special day. There was something about this day. But we've made Sunday like every other day. You can go out today after church. Um, go to Costco. Many of us will be there. And you can do things on Sunday, the same things that you do every day. Because Sunday's basically just another day. Even in the church, Sunday's just another day. Um, George Barna did a survey of committed evangelicals pre-COVID, a few years before COVID. The average committed evangelical goes to church twice a month. Why? We're busy. And I need a, I need a break. I need to rest. And we do things that are opposite of what God's intent was to rest. So we've basically made Sunday just another day. And in our culture now, work has changed. Our schedules have changed. Your phones change your life. You have to text. We have to know. We have to, it's buzzing. It's humming. It's doing something. I guess got to do something and we've got our schedules are full our my wife and I are not there um, but two of our family well I guess all three of our families now kids families operate off their cell phone you ask them what's going on and go, I don't know I got are you open that day I don't know I got to look and schedules are full there's games there's stuff there's school events there's work events and work never stops for a couple of them they have positions where they're it's 24-7. They just never stop. And all this is going on. That's culture. And culture has shaped us to where everybody says we have no what. What are we all lacking? Time. Some of you are getting anxious. Time. The only place sabbatical or Sabbath has really taken hold is in academia. 
You'll often hear of professors and scholars who go, I've got a sabbatical, and I'm going to write, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. But in the Christian realm, it seems like sabbatical has become synonymous with vacation. I need a rest. I need some time off. We're going on a cruise. We're going to the cabin. We're going to the lake. We're going to the beach. We're going somewhere. So we keep reinforcing this sense that I'm so exhausted from working, I need a rest, and that's Sabbath. That's not Scripture. In our culture, especially, where we have this issue, by the way, not every culture has the same issues of time and vacations and rest and we work so hard I need a break. I'm not, some of you work physically really hard and mentally really hard. There are lots of people, half the people in the world, three and a half to four billion people are striving today because they don't have enough. Most of the world doesn't take vacations. Most of the most of the world's not working for a, you know, Huey Lewis in the news or just another couple days off. They're not working for that. That's our culture. That's how it's influenced all of us. And most of us don't even understand how much culture has influenced us because it's just the way it is. And we just move and go with the flow as everybody else is. Here's a warning from Scripture about people in our place from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be careful in our abundance. It is a threat to following God. We look at it, especially as Americans, as God has blessed us with so much. I'm not so sure. Amen. Going back to creation, being about function, and the creation of a temple as God brought order. He brought security to his people because he was on the throne and present with them. So it's interesting how the rabbis interpreted that word work on the seventh day, don't work. When the rabbis and the teachers of the Torah looked at that, they came up with 39 words that says this is the work you can't do on Sabbath. Each of those 39 words is a part of the work needed to build a temple. God had built the temple. He said, this is not, Sabbath is not about building a temple. It is not about building another place for God. It is about listening to God and saying, God is on the throne. And the work that was done was business kind of work. So what practices did Judaism develop? How did Jews celebrate Sabbath? Let me give you some of the things, some of the practices. 
that some, someone who's Jewish would really practice Sabbath, what they would do. Um, there's always the lighting of two candles. Two candles was to remind them twice the commandment in the list of commandments, each list that we're told to obey the Sabbath. But light was also a symbol of the presence of God. So they would start Sabbath by lighting two lights, reminded that this is what God has told us to do and reminding that God is present in this place. Another practice of Sabbath was giving to people in need, taking care of those with less than. Why should we do that? Because we have enough. We need to share with others who are in need. Another practice of Sabbath was simply greeting one another with the words, Shalom Shabbat. Peace. Peace on the Sabbath, which is a way of extending and saying, this is about us, not about me. And we join together as we share that with one another. Shalom Shabbat is for us as a community because God has blessed us. God's visited us. Another act on Sabbath was they always pray over their children. What a horrible, hard work thing to do. Every child was prayed over so that that child knew they were part of this bigger picture and they knew every other child that they knew was having the same thing for them. On Sabbath, they ate three meals. Normal practice in the ancient days was two meals a day. You ate when you got up and you ate when you got home. And you took something to get you through the day. But on Sabbath, they had three meals. Here's something else on Sabbath is they prayed but they did not pray asking for anything. Their prayers were about thanksgiving over what we have and for who God is. So they were prayers of praise and thanksgiving. Sabbath was a day for reading and studying the Torah. Sabbath was a day, or is a day, for gathering together in worship, gathering together in community, so it's not just me and God, it's us and God. It's important for us to see we're part of something bigger and that God is among us. I don't want to get anything started here, but Sabbath is also a day for husbands and wives to practice intimacy. Nobody's going amen to that, but it's, it's a reality. But that act of intimacy was something that expressed what they were to be each other, and what God was with them. The biggest illustration God uses of his relationship with his people is marriage. So that coming together as husband and wife was about expressing love for one another and expressing this is how God loves us, and it was a beautiful thing. And they would always close with a prayer of thanksgiving. What a wonderful day. Does that sound horrible to you? How does practicing Sabbath sound now? Oh, I know. Time. In Jesus' day, Sabbath had become about rules. Sabbath had become about rigidity. Sabbath had become about authority. Authority. 
and Sabbath had become about conforming. We all got to do this. We're in charge. Said it's got to be this way. It's got to be exactly this way. Follow the rules. In our culture, Sabbath has become something else. Sabbath has become about consumerism. We want, we want our time. We want our stuff. We want to do what we want to do. It's become about pleasure. I didn't say joy. I didn't say happiness. It's become about pleasure. I want to be able to indulge myself in whatever I want to indulge myself in. It's become about self. I need a me day. I need a break. It's been a tough week. I'm tired. I need to sleep in today, even though at church I need to sleep in because I've worked hard. And it's become about assimilation into what's out there. We look just like everybody else, except maybe we stop for an hour in church. And then we're just like everybody else, or an hour and a half. And then we're going, it's an hour and a half. Come on. I know many churches that are on a tight time schedule. Got to be in and out in an hour because, you know, people won't like that. Who's that serving? Those are days about us becoming like everybody else. So what should Sabbath be for us? God, in giving us the commandments about Sabbath, gave it first in the desert about the manna. Israel had just come out of slavery. More bricks, more bricks, more bricks. This grind of every day, every day, every day, because it was about the powers wanting to be more powerful. It was about being controlled by others. Work, work, work. And God said, that's not life. That's not the way. We're going to stop that now. God, in giving us the commandment, wants us to remember he is on the throne. He is faithful to his word. Do you understand we are secure in Christ? You understand God said, I will give you everything you need. God said, I will be with you always. We have everything in God because God is on the throne, is he not? Amen. By the way, somebody said they're studying Acts. In the first chapter of Acts, what does Jesus do? Jesus ascends into the clouds. That is the moment Jesus goes to the right hand of the Father. That is the moment we go, ah, ah done. God's in command. God is in charge. Jesus is Lord. We can be secure in that. God, in giving the commandments and for Sabbath, wants us to see others. In the Deuteronomy version, the Sabbath command, God says, everyone in the household gets Sabbath. Everyone. Even the strangers among you. Often unrecognized, there's all kinds of issues even in the church today about men and women and equality and whatever. 
We don't realize in the giving of the commandment on Sabbath, women are equal. They don't work either. Nobody, everybody gets rest. Now, everybody worked really hard on the sixth day. So on the seventh day, they could just be together and worship God. Not because they were exhausted, but because God has called us to that, and it is a good thing. So what do we do today? Today, Sabbath is about God. It's all about God. We've come together today to worship God. I often hear people say, oh, I can't just wait till heaven and we can worship God all the time, or I just love to worship God as long as it fits my time schedule. What about a day? Sabbath is about celebration. Yay, God! You are awesome. This is amazing. Let's celebrate this. Sabbath is about community. It's about us. It's about being together. It's not getting away from one another. It's getting to one another and being together. And lastly, perhaps most important, Sabbath is about defiance. Walter Brueggemann has a book called Sabbath is Resistance, but I like the word defiance better. It is we who are followers of God who say we are not that. We are not going to be like that. We are not going to get caught up in in what culture says is good and what culture says is right. We are going to do what God wants us to do, and it is an awesome thing. Let us be together, and let us worship God on the Sabbath. That's an act of defiance. That is a costly act for every one of us. I don't know what it will cost you, but it's going to cost you. But for Israel, it was an act of defiance to all the cultures around them. Seventh day, uh uh-uh, we're done. It's a God day. It's a great day. It's a family day. It's a community day. It's a celebration day. And some of you are going, well, you don't know my schedule. We have to figure that out. If we choose in the church to say... Nah, Sabbath's not for me. We're essentially saying, I can make it alone. I'm going to stay home today because I'm tired and I don't need community. I want, Sabbath, I want Sundays to be just like any other day because that's... I want to take care of my stuff and I don't, I, don't, I don't need to get together to worship God. I don't need to study the Torah. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be generous. I don't need to be with those close to me. And we're a local community of the body of Christ. And we've got to figure out what Sabbath looks like. That's not for me to say. I'm not here to tell you here's how you do Sabbath. That's not for me to say. That's for us to say. What will we as a church be as a body of Christ? And what will we look like for Sabbath? Jesus said that man was not made for the Sabbath. It was not made for rules. 
It was not made for practices without hearts in it, but Sabbath was made for man. It was ma- God created Sabbath for us so we had this time to be in him and sit together and go, yes. Yes. This is great. We're with God. And everything we need, we have in God. He is the desire of our hearts. He is everything we want. We need nothing else than to be with him. That sounds pretty good. That's why Jesus said, that's why we did this. That's why we made this for you. And the Sabbath is an eternal commandment. Why? Because God is always on the throne. We will never stop. There will be a day of eternal Sabbath. Jubilee. No one's poor. No one's hungry. No one's in prison. God is on the throne and we worship. We're singing today. It's He reigns. It's great. It's awesome. He has no equal. He has no rival. Isn't this awesome? That's Sabbath. And it's eternal. It's eternal because God is always on the throne. It's eternal because God is always faithful. It's eternal because God is always our redeemer. It's eternal because God is always with us. It's eternal because God loves his people. It's eternal because God is always our provider. It's because God is always making us secure. And because worshiping God is what we will do always. So Bridget's going to come up and lead us in a song here. But let me just close by reading the 46th Psalm to you. Okay? I'm going to ask you to stand and listen to the word of God. And here's the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Almighty, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still, cease striving, rest, stop, let go, relax, withdraw, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That is why we practice seven. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.